Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens back with another edition of The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the Believe Podcast Network, which, as you know, is the number one podcast network for professionals. Let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 2009. It's the year that the United Nations Agency, UNESCO, launches the World Digital Library, which means those Cabo selfies are so going to be around forever. 2009 is the year that New York City opens a pair of ballparks, the new and improved Yankee Stadium for, of course, the Yanks, and City Field for the Mets. Of the two, it's the Yankees who go 4-2 over my hometown Phillies this year to take a 27th World Series. Seems kind of hoggish to me, but whatever. Hey, speaking of which, and I swear this is just a happy accident of word choices, 2009 is also the year of the swine flu, also known as H1N1. Remember when global pandemics were almost cute? 2009 is the year that Disney buys Marvel, that the balloon boy makes inflated fools of a CNN-driven nation, that Circuit City, which starts out as wards in 1949 to usher in the TV age, pulls the retail plug, that silly bands are the it fad all over the country, and that Dom DeLuise, B. Arthur, David Carradine, Farrah Fawcett, and Michael Jackson all die. Those last two just hours apart. Farrah in the morning of June 25th and Jackson mid-afternoon. That Michael, always with the pulling focus. In the fall of 2009, the U.S. Senate approves the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, commonly simplified, perhaps a bit unfairly, as just the Matthew Shepard Act. The bill, signed into law by President Obama, expands 1969's federal hate crimes law to include crimes motivated by actual or perceived gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. James Byrd is the 49-year-old man murdered by three white supremacists in the summer of 1998, tied to and dragged behind a speeding truck for being black. 21-year-old Matthew Shepard is the United is the University of Wyoming student beaten tied to a split rail fence, and left for dead in Laramie, Wyoming that fall for being gay. Nice world, isn't it? But in 2009, as a result, because they lived and died, there's a small amount of woke creeping through the country and on TV. In September 2009, ABC Television is one of the places that reflects it, introducing a new sitcom about the changing face of the American family, among which is found unapologetically, for the first time in lead roles on network series television, a longtime partnered gay couple. No inching from a closet, no maybes about it. With Modern Family, Cameron and Mitchell are here. They're queer, and we're used to it. Back in 1972, a summer sitcom that no one remembers called The Corner Bar, which shows up three years after the Stonewall Rebellion in New York City ignites the modern gay rights movement, dares to feature primetime TV's first regularly seen openly gay character, 
It's a tiny role for whom very little happens, but he's there almost every week at the bar. Not many notice, though. The series lasts just 16 episodes, though he disappears after 10. Three years later, in 1975, a mid-season Norman Lear sitcom that no one remembers called Hot L. Baltimore, based on the Lanford Wilson play, dares to feature primetime TV's first openly gay couple in series TV. They're very minor characters. They're old and stereotypical. They're a weekly throwaway punchline. But they're there, part of the cast. Not many notice, though. The series, a rare miss from Uber producer Lear, lasts just 13 episodes. It's not until 1977, with the Susan Harris written and produced parody sitcom Soap, that primetime dares bigger and bolder and succeeds. Soap features an openly gay character in a major, ongoing, plot-revolving starring role. And the show's a critically praised, Emmy-winning hit. So TV has its first gay character for all the world to see, week in and week out, year in and year out, loosening the hinges of primetime's closet door. It's an achievement that darn near mitigates the damage done by having that character, Jody Dallas, as played by Billy Crystal, initially depicted as a cross-dressing, preoperative swish, and then as a guy who sleeps with and impregnates a woman on his way to being all but neutered of any sexual identity at all. Pick a lane, Jody. Pick a lane. In 1981, the year that Soap leaves the air after four successful seasons, Odd Couple star Tony Randall comes back to weekly TV in an NBC comedy called Love, Sydney, about a lonely, middle-aged gay man who takes in a woman and her young daughter as roomies. Okay, let's say gay-ish. The series is based on a just-aired movie of the week in which the Sydney character is clearly homosexual, to mother and child anyway, and to us. But NBC orders his sexuality toned down for the weekly show version. Toned down as in not heard. The network just doesn't want the hassle of being known as the network that's got a primetime series about a gay guy in a lead role. So Sydney is presented as your everyday de-sexed and confirmed bachelor. Father figure, best friend. One step forward, one step back. It's really not until the late 1990s that primetime network TV, read that as commercial TV, as in TV that relies on paid advertising from skittish advertisers, allows for weekly series in which gay characters are indeed the focus. First with Ellen on ABC, which overcomes some struggle to fully open the closet door. Parenthetically, it's to a room that unfortunately has little to offer once the reveal of her sexuality is dealt with. And then with Will and Grace on NBC, which overcomes some struggle to spotlight not one, but two gay lead characters, which is a major hit, and which removes the door altogether. Parenthetically, it's worth noting and getting, giving full props here to a 1980s cable series called Brothers, which features an openly gay lead and which lands with viewers lasting five years, but it's on the still new premium service Showtime. So the low profile doesn't help move the major broadcast needle too much if at all. So due to Ellen and Will and Grace in the late 1990s, gay, once a verboten TV word, is now a trendy TV genre. It took some of that struggle, but out is in. 
Modern Family's arrival a decade later tells us that the struggle is, for the most part, in series TV, over. A gay character on television in a lead role, any kind of role, no longer involves a fight with advertisers or with nervous TV executives, or not as much as it used to. And audiences barely blink an eye of protest or discomfort when they see a gay character in series television. It doesn't even have to be the point of the series. It can just be. Or in the case of Modern Family, they can just be. Mitchell and Cameron, gay and partnered, just another branch on a large family tree. The series is one of those once-in-a-generation TV projects that comes together at the right time with the right people for everyone involved on both sides of the camera. Fated to happen because of all that already has. Like How I Met Your Mother and The Office and the years leading up to it, it's a mockumentary. It's characters seen talking to an unshown camera that's chronicling their lives. Because these earlier shows happen, Modern Family doesn't have to wait for viewers to adapt to this approach. It just jumps in, employs it, skillfully. Like the long-running Married with Children, it stars Ed O'Neill, who here plays a similar kind of anti-father role, which he perfected for 10 years on that earlier hit. It provides enormous audience equity leading up to the premiere. Because of Al Bundy, Modern Family has a strong comedy anchor with a familiar face that viewers are ready to invest in. They'll get to know his Jay Pritchett, but thanks to Al Bundy, they feel they know him well enough already to check the new show out. Like sitcoms before it, from Seinfeld to Everybody Loves Raymond, Modern Family is a neoclassical comedy rooted in the minutiae of daily life, aware of itself, aware that we're aware. Because these earlier shows demonstrate that sustainable comedy can come from relatable nothing, it taps into and milks this neoclassical concept. Most critically, like Frasier and Wings and the Golden Girls and Just Shoot Me before it, Modern Family is in the hands of seasoned comedy showrunners. Either together or individually, co-creators Steve Levitan and Christopher Lloyd have resumes with these titles on them. Their success breeds confidence and yields permission from ABC and from the studio behind Modern Family to write what they know to work absent the usual network minding that can border on creative interference. And of course, because of The Corner Bar and Hot Al Baltimore and Soap and Love Sydney and Brothers and Ellen and Will and Grace and others before it, Modern Family doesn't have to walk a tightrope of acceptance as it services a gay storyline. It can just be a sitcom, which, in 2009, ABC, the network that picks up Modern Family when CBS and NBC pass, really, really needs a hit, both to anchor a night and to build a winning schedule. So, in fact, does TV in general. From the website TV Worth Watching, quote, The show had arrived at a slow time for comedies. Cable and streaming hadn't started scoring with shows like Veep, and Fleabag, and Mrs. Maisel, while NBC's long-running reign had faded, end quote. So everything is working in Modern Family's favor, including the fact that it's very, very good. Buzzed about all summer thanks to a pilot that everybody's talking about, inside and outside of ABC, it's an instant hit upon its September premiere, 
Critics Embrace It. From James Parker of The Atlantic, quote, The show concerns itself, as advertised, with a modern family. In this case, the extended brood of Jay Pritchett, a wisecracking suburban patriarch with a preposterously hot second wife, Gloria. Jay's daughter, Claire, has a husband, Phil, and three children. Jay's son, Mitchell, is gay, living with his partner, Cameron, and their adopted Vietnamese baby, Lily. Within this tripartite system, the family members judge one another, infuriate one another, and love one another in brisk 21-minute arcs. End quote. A blend of stories that run parallel to each other and which intersect as all large family stories do, Modern Family rides a first-season glow to an Emmy win as best comedy. As other seasons progress, it incorporates all the familiar tropes of tilt that make up the pinball machine that is family. The marriages and the breakups and the makeups, the intergenerational dysfunction, the it-sounded-like-a-good-idea-at-the-time family vacation, the rebellious teens, the parental misunderstandings and the interferences, the requisite milestones of birth and death and graduations in between. And yes, the, the evolving gay partnership of Mitchell and Cameron, which involves a laugh-filled, though poignant wedding in the fifth season. More ground broken and then tilled. Done with what The Atlantic calls a master's class in pace and brevity, and with writing that it describes as hectically compressed, but dramatically elegant, prodigal in its zingers and snorters, but austere in its construction, Modern Family is always skillfully written. Just four years into its run, it's already ranked 34th on the Writers Guild of America list of the 101 most well-written television series ever made. Side note, it'll win a total of six Writers Guild awards over its long run. And not for nothing... It'll also be ranked 43rd on TV Guide's list of the 60 best series of all time. Modern Family wins the best comedy each of its first five seasons, a record-tying consecutive streak established by Frasier. It continues its run on ABC well into the years when its reruns make the show a hit all over again in syndication and on streaming services, and makes fortunes for its cast, some of whom, yes, as the time and seasons progress, to engage in the requisite salary negotiation wars. And it continues to be a top draw for ABC throughout. It's nose-thumbing anarchy, most appreciated by the country's nose-thumbing 18 to 49-year-old crowd. The series comes to an end in 2020 after a staggering 11 seasons and 75 Emmy nominations, including two wins each for actors Ty Burrell and Julie Bowen, who play Phil and Claire, and Eric Stone Street who plays Cameron, partner, and then husband to Mitchell. When it does end in April of 2020, in a TV world markedly different than the one it begins in 11 years earlier, USA Today notes the date. Quote, It's not just the finale for Modern Family. It could also mark the end of a TV perennial, the long-running hit network comedy that breaks into the larger culture. The lack of likely heirs isn't a question of quality. The loss largely rep represents how TV industry produces shows, and how we watch them. End quote. I guess that's true enough. That in that finale, crusty patriarch Jay Pritchett refers to offspring Mitchell and Mitchell's husband Cameron as his sons, both of them, suggests the world at large is markedly different in 2020 as well. You gotta believe. 
hey, send us some questions and feedback and suggestions on Twitter at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com. That's also where you can get some information on advertising on any Believe show, but especially mine. Find and download The Good, The Bad, and The TV on Apple, where you can subscribe and rate us, or Spotify, where you can follow us. Or just plain listen for us each Thursday with a new drop on sites like Stitcher, or Luminary, or TuneIn, or Google Play. Be sure to like the show all over your social media, too. Tell your family. I'm Jim McCairns. We'll talk again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.